Thanks, Ken. Hey, good morning, church body. It's great to be here with you. I'm just thankful that God kept us safe on the road with the high winds yesterday. As Ken mentioned, uh, my wife Tiffany is here with me, and uh, um, my older two, Gabriel and Luke. Uh, you uh, get to say hi to Luke later. His birthday weekend is this weekend, so uh, he's sharing his birthday with us this weekend. And then uh, Timothy, Hannah, and Samuel are all scattered in the uh, children's ministries. Um, just going to get my notes here. Yeah, definitely thank you, worship team, for that time of worship. I, uh, I was really getting into it, and then I realized, you know what? I probably should save my voice. I probably shouldn't, like, sing full throttle now. So, uh, but no, I, I really appreciate the, the heart. I saw you guys' heart through that, so I just want to say I really appreciate that. Well, this morning, we're going to turn to John chapter 4. And I believe that God has something for somebody here, and maybe for many of us. Anytime we open the Word of God, whether we're strong or whether we just got ourselves here just by the grace of God, barely hanging on, I believe that if we open the Word of God, that He has something for us. And this morning, I want to start with a question for us all to think about. What is the thing that we're turning to to fill ourselves what are you filling yourself with? You know, when I was younger, um, I remember these commercials. They would come up with this really absurd, goofy-type scenario skit. And then at the end, the punchline would come, image is nothing. Thirst is everything. Obey your thirst. Anybody remember what company used to advertise that? Sprite. Isn't it amazing after 25 years, I can still vividly remember the tagline for that commercial. And not only that, there was an entire generation of kids that Sprite was successful. Thank you. Speaking of thirst, the water. Ken had no idea that that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. But yeah, there was an entire generation of kids that was led to believe that thirst and Sprite would be linked. How many of us, when we, when we were outside, we were playing, we would get tired, we would get thirsty, and your, your mind would tell you, your body would tell you, I'm thirsty, and then something in your mind would say, ah, maybe I should grab some Sprite. Because Sprite successfully connected for that whole generation of kids, thirst, and this product to, to uh, quench our thirst. Now, something interesting that I found out later is that scientists did some studies about this sugary carbonated beverage. I used to call it pop, and then I had to move out east and call it soda. What, what do you call it here? Pop. Okay, pop. Pop it is. It shall henceforth and no longer be called soda. Pop. You guys, you guys are going to have to learn that one. They did studies on pop, and what they found was there's a certain level of sugar content that if you go past that level, it would inundate your liver to the point where the, the, the hydration that you were bringing into your liver was brought out of your liver. So in other words, beverages like Sprite, the scientists concluded that they're not actually quenching your thirst, they're actually dehydrating you. And yet they made their living and they made their marketing campaign based on the fact that we will quench your thirst, but it was built on scientifically a lie. So in other words, the very drink they claim is trying to quench their thirst is actually dehydrating you. 
And they were selling this product based on a lie, that this will quench your thirst when it was actually doing the opposite. I want to let you know that this is true on a spiritual level. There are many things out there that people turn to, and even good Christians, people in the church have been turning to, that have the illusion of thirst, of filling some deep spiritual and emotional need, but what they're actually doing is pulling that out of you and doing absolutely nothing at all and creating an addictive habit so you have to keep going back and back and back to that for more and muting and distorting your thirst for the true living water. And so this morning, what I want to let you know is that every single one of us has a deep spiritual longing from deep within our soul that can be described as thirst. And my question for you this morning is, what are you turning to or who are you turning to to quench that thirst? We're going to turn to John chapter 4. We're going to meet a woman who had a conversation with Jesus about this. And I want to invite us, no matter how long you've studied the word, if you just woke out of bed and decided, I want to try this church thing, or if you've been walking with Jesus for 50 plus years, I want to invite you to see this story in a new way and allow God to open our eyes to see what he wants to show the church this morning. So God, we ask you to help us once again. God, we're going to open your word. We believe that you can speak much better than any one of us can. That as we open your word, that will be your voice, God, not mine. And God, whatever we have happening after this, whether it's a, a lunch, whether it's a vote, whether it's a football game, help us to stay tuned in to what you want to do right now. Because you have something for us right now here in this moment. Amen. All right, so we're going to read John chapter 4. I'm going to start with verse 4. And um, we're going to read it, and then I'm going to come back and reference a number of verses. And so um, if you have your Bibles, we encourage you to follow along. Appreciate James getting the the slides on the screen. That means a lot. Um, Starting in verse 4. So Jesus is having to go from Jerusalem up to Galilee. And it says, verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Near the field. If anybody speaks Hebrew, please feel free to correct me. But uh, if not, we'll keep moving forward. Near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's, sorry, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? That's significant. We're going to come back to that in a minute. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I believe that's for somebody this morning. If you had only known, I would have given you the living water. Thank you, God, that is here for today. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw draw water with. 
and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation from the, is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Amen. So looking at this passage, there's four things I want to just kind of draw out of this passage. Jesus comes to Samaria, which I think is significant because the word says he had to pass through Samaria. Technically, he didn't have to because Jewish people, when they were going south from Galilee up to the region, or south from Jerusalem up to the region of Galilee, most Jewish people would walk around Samaria because they just did not want to deal with it. They did not even want to see them. They, treat, they saw them as inferior people to them because they had, to, in their minds, kind of betrayed the covenant. So the word says he had to. And here he finds this woman by herself, which I believe is no coincidence. He gets in a conversation with her about the water that she's, she has and starts talking about living water. Now, do you notice in verse 12, I believe it is, no, verse 11, she's like, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? If she only knew who he was, I don't think she would be talking to him like that. But then she goes into something a little bit deeper that kind of shows a little bit more about her connection to the well. Verse 12 says, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock. So she has no idea. This is the Son of God, the Messiah, standing right in front of her. And she has the audacity to ask him, are you greater than our father Jacob? What's behind that question? Well, if you know, in that region, water was not very, very abundant. If you've ever been to the Middle East, it does not rain much in certain parts. And so there are certain points in, in the region where well water is where you have to go to get the water. Now, this group of people would have had no clue as far as like the science of it. Underneath the ground, the groundwater is moving, and if it intersects with certain um, geological formations, you get different kind of springs that naturally replenish itself. And without getting into all the science of it, there are some places, such as Jacob's Well, 
where that spring just keeps flowing because of the abundance of groundwater. So in other words, she had no idea why, but every time she dipped her bucket down and it came back up, water would come. Even though the rain wouldn't fall everywhere in that region, and even though other wells in that area wouldn't be so generous, it would be more dependent on the rainfall. So without understanding the science of how that happens, it would be logical for them to conclude that this must be some type of supernatural sign. So in other words, God is blessing this well, even though he didn't bless that well. So this was the well that Jacob did, Doug. So therefore, this must be the place where God has worked. This must be like a sacred, holy type place. And so here comes Jesus saying, if you knew who I was, you would ask for the water that I give you. And she's thinking, I have this well based on what God did in the past. I don't need what you have, Jesus. I'm good with what I already have. Have you ever met anybody or maybe been that person? I don't need what you have, Jesus. I'm good with what I already have. You see, this woman was so attached to what God had done in the past that she was, not, she was willing to refuse what Jesus was offering right in front of her. She was basing her identity off of something that God had done in ancient history in, in, in the fathers of Jacob and his tribe. And that was what she was basing her identity off of. But here's the Messiah right in front of her, and she's willing to turn him away based on the fact that she's tied to what is in the past. And here's what I want to share with us today, that there are a lot of believers out there that are so attached to what God has done in the past that they miss what God is willing to do today. When you look at the Jewish understanding of what living water is, living water is something that's not just standing still somewhere. It's always flowing. I want to let you know the activity of God is always flowing. If God did something in the past, praise him for it, but don't camp there. I see there's so many churches out there that will tell these amazing stories like, oh, God did this revival back in the 1970s, and we had the altars flooded, and everybody was coming, and it was awesome, and uh, we need to go back to that again. And, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that thought, but then they start to take it a step further. Well, we had, back then we had this color of lights and we sang these songs, and we decorated the church this color, and we had the services at 7 o'clock. Well, no, no, it was 6.30. We have to have the services at 6.30, and if we follow this formula, God's going to do what he did back then. But what they don't realize is that was what God wanted to do, to, to do then. He still wants to move. The, river, the water wants to flow, but it might not look the same way that it did back in 1970. You see, landmarks, spiritual landmarks, are very, very, very important to us. And the well in Samaria was a very, very significant landmark for the people there. It was a sign of what God had done in the past, a sign of God's provision, a sign of God's goodness. And if you have landmarks in your life, if you have times, if you as a church or as an individual have a time in your life where God has moved before, where he's done something, it's good to go back there. It's good to remember that. It's good to reminisce. It's good to, to, to go through and remember the things that God did for you. But don't set your tent there. Don't stay there. I hear people tell stories of what God did. There's powerful testimonies. Yeah, 10 years ago, 12 years, 15 years ago, 
I was completely lost. I was addicted. God saved me. And now, you know, and, and just really powerful testimonies. But I want to let you know something. What God did 12 years ago is not your entire testimony. Matter of fact, I want to say that for everybody here, your testimony is not done being written. Your testimony is not finished because God still wants to do something. And I would, I would be even so bold to say is that how powerful your testimony is. God wants to do something even better now than he did back then. If you're willing to allow him. The living water that Jesus offers is, is what God wants to do today. God has moved in the past. God's faithfulness doesn't change. God's character doesn't change. God's love, God's power, God's might, all that doesn't change. How he expresses it, though, doesn't always look the way that it did before. And if we are, understand what Jesus is offering, we understand that living water is that river that's always flowing, always moving. God offers us this living water today. The second point, challenge that I want to I draw out of this passage I want to talk a little bit about shame. Jesus met this, this woman in her place of shame. Now, did anybody catch what time of the day that she went to the well? Sixth hour, which would have been what time? Noon. Yeah, I mean, approximately noon. I, I think, um, you know, back then when they took, they told time by the sun, they weren't exactly like precisely like, 12 o'clock, we got to get this thing started at 12 o'clock. It was like 12-ish, right? And my church, um, just so you know, we, um, we, we never have done a countdown. I kind of like the countdown. Our church starts at 10-ish, 10-15. Um, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. But uh, um, if anybody from my church ever sees this video, I love you guys. Um, but this was the 12th hour. So 12 o'clock noon, the high heat of the day, she's going out to draw water. Now, what we know about the ancient uh, patterns back then, most people, mainly the women, would go out and draw water. Anybody know what time it would, it would be? First part of the day. You want to get your water before it gets hot out there. And, by the way, if all the other people in the village are going out to get water, it's kind of like a fun time to socialize. Everybody gets out of their house. You meet at the well. You get to talk. You get to connect with people. It's great. You know, it brings the community together. You know, we're all getting water together. All the women in the town are at the well fellowshipping. So why was this person coming to the well at noon? Well, Jesus called it out in a little bit. Her shame was keeping her from coming to the well at the same time as the other women. And I want you to think about this. If you are so ashamed of doing something that you go to that place at a different time than everybody else does, what is the voice that's playing through your mind every step that you're taking as you're alone with your thoughts coming to that well? Especially if you've been through five marriages and all of them failed and you're living with somebody, but they haven't even had the, had the courtesy to commit to whether they want to actually commit to you or not. This woman is walking to the well every single day with that voice in her head that says, I'm not lovable. Those five, they didn't want me. I don't belong in this community. In fact, I don't even belong. I wonder if I do even belong. 
I'm not good enough. I'm not capable of being, of being loved. I can't even show my face around anybody because they know who I am. And, because, and once they know who I am, they're just not going to accept me. I want to ask the question, does that voice sound familiar to anybody here? This voice of shame, this voice that says, I'm not lovable, I'm not worthy of being belonging, I don't belong, I can't fit in. If they only knew who I really was, I could not even show my face there. Maybe there's people watching online. I know COVID and other things have done this where people got disconnected from the church and they're still watching online, praise the Lord, but they're like, I can't bring myself to show my face in the room with all the people because what are they going to think of me if I get there? That voice of shame, that voice, or the voice that says, okay, I'm going to go, but I can't let anybody see who I truly am. I got to just try to put on this happy facade to make people think that I'm fully and blessed when inside I'm completely torn apart, but I can't let anybody see that at church. By the way, I want to let you know that I think church should be the place where we should allow ourselves to see that, that side of us. If you can't show it at church, where can you show it? That voice that says, that takes those past memories, it takes those things that you regret, those things that you don't want to think about, those things that happen to you, and just plays it over and over and over again until you have no choice but to try to find something to make the memories go numb or to make them go away. And then you find yourself reaching for something that you never planned to reach for at the beginning. The good news that I want to share today is that Jesus met this woman in her place of shame. Verse 4, once again, he had to pass through Samaria. Geographically, he did not have to pass through Samaria. But guess what he knew? And by the way, you saw the verse where it says that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. What do you think was going through Jesus' mind when he, went, when he walked up to the well at noon that day in Samaria? As a Jewish teacher who would never even think about going through, Samaritan, through Samaria, as, uh, as a highly esteemed man who would not normally be seen having a conversation alone with a woman, especially a woman who had made the choices that this woman had made, and yet he still had to be there. If Jesus wanted to make a move to save the Samaritans, he could have gone into the village where he had just sent his disciples. He could have been like, all right, guys, I'm here. Let's do some miracles and let me show you that I'm the son of God. But he didn't do that. What did he do instead? He went to the very place that he knew this woman was going to be. And he met her. As she's walking, allowing that voice of shame to roll over and over and over again, he met her right there. And no matter how sarcastic, if you, if you read her responses, like, I, I don't know about you, but I'm reading her responses, and I'm hearing, like, like whoa, that, how do you talk? You don't talk to Jesus like that. That's like sarcasm. Did you guys pick up on that? There was a lot of sarcasm, a lot of, like, bitterness in her responses to Jesus. And yet Jesus still met her there. Jesus met her in that place of utter shame. He met her there. Check out verse 26. And I want to ask you the question, what do you think it did for this woman once he said this words? She's talking about, you know, her people versus his people, talking about spirit and truth, talking about the Messiah. 
And as soon as she mentions Messiah, Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. Now, I think that that's very significant. I who speak to you am he. Because he didn't just say, like she's talking about the Messiah. He didn't just say, by the way, I'm the Messiah. He says, I who speak to you am he. In other words, I'm speaking to you. Most people don't want to speak to you. Most people from my, where I grew up will never even think about talking to you. But I speak to you. I who see you. I who am willing to take a time to understand where you are, to be here right where you are in your place of shame. And by the way, I have all the hope in my hands that you need right now. I who speak to you am he. I see you. I understand your shame. I hear you. I know what you've been through. I know why you made the decisions you made. But I came here now because this is where I needed to be and this is where you were going to be. And my father and the Holy Spirit knew before the beginning of time that this is where you would be. My friends, if you are hearing the voice of shame, I want to invite you to start hearing the words of Jesus ready to meet you right in that place of shame and says, I am here. I am he. You've been hearing the voice that says you're not worthy of love. I am bringing eternal love to you right now. You've been hearing the voice that says, I can't show my face. I can't, if they knew who I would, what I've done, I wouldn't be there. I am he. I don't belong anywhere, Jesus. I am complete belonging. I am. If there's anybody here today, when we get to the altar time at the end, if you've been hearing that voice of shame, please don't miss this opportunity to allow Jesus to speak those words of truth and love to your heart and meet you in that place of shame just as he did this woman and completely set you free and I believe that there might be some people here that those memories that just continue to haunt you, the pain that you've been through, Jesus is willing to heal you from that pain and flood your heart with such a love that makes the fear go away because perfect love drives out fear. Jesus is ready to meet you in that place of shame. The third insight we want to make as a part of that process, Jesus was, invite, Jesus was challenging her to deal with the thing that she was using to satisfy her soul. Watch what happens in verse 15. 15 to 16, sorry. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So the woman goes from, no, I don't want it to, yes, give me this water, I need it. And so, like, you know, normally I'm thinking, like, if you ask Jesus for something, he's supposed to give it to you, right? Especially if he's already offered it to you. Like, hey, I'm, I'm, I wanted to give this to you. And she's like, okay, yes, please, may I have it? He's like, okay, but first, go call your husband. Now, at first, at first you read it, like, wait, what, what does that have to do with it? Jesus like, why are you asking her to call, call her husband? But here's what Jesus was saying. Before I can give you this living water, I need you to deal with the thing that you've been filling with that's not living water. 
I need you to deal with, with this thing that you've been doing to satisfy your soul. And he called it out. He called it out to her. He, he basically read her mail right there on the spot. And she tried to avoid the question. But he wanted to deal with that place of brokenness. And church, what I want to let you know is that if we want to receive, if we want the living water to flow through the church, we as a church body, each one of us has to allow Jesus to deal with those places in our hearts that are still broken, to allow us to deal with those things that we turn to instead of the living water that he provides. There was, for the longest time, I read this passage, and I assumed that Jesus was saying that you will take a drink of the water and you'll never have to drink a drink again, meaning that once you accept Jesus, you're saved, and now you're good. I always thought that that's what this means, but as I studied it more, I don't think that's exactly what it means. Jesus didn't say you'll never have to drink again. He said you will never be thirsty again. In other words, just, just so we understand the Jewish understanding of living water. Living water, what do we say before? It's, it's always flowing, always flowing, but also from a source that never runs out. And what Jesus said when he described the spiritual component of it, the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so this spring now, this, this source that always replenishes itself, never runs out, is inside the believer. But here's something that I've noticed over the years. If that's in fact what is true, there have been so many stories of people, Christians, even spirit-baptized people, who say that they have the living water, but they're still turning to things like pornography, who are ruining their marriage, walking away, who are turning to other things, finding themselves just, just turning to different things to fill that void inside of them. And when we talk about living water, we look at Jeremiah 2.13. We see this other dynamic where God's people had been given the living water, but they had walked away from it. Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You see, living water is not just a one-time drink that satisfies you. It means that the water is in you. The source never runs out. It's always flowing, but you still have to drink it. And you still have to learn how to taste that at, and, and let go of the other things that you've been filling yourself with. I gave credit to Sprite because they came up with a brilliant marketing strategy, even though they're selling a lie. A few years ago, um, we had, by the way, if you like Sprite, I'm not judging you, by the way, okay? You can still drink Sprite afterwards. All right, you, you, you can still have Sprite today. I'll let you have it. Um, so this is not to shame anybody who likes Sprite, um, although now you don't know what it does to your liver. No shame if you drink Sprite. However, there was one, um, one year that we kind of had to decide, you know what, we're just going to like take a break from, so, sorry, pop. Almost said soda. Um, and so we decided to stop drinking this stuff. And um, so I don't even remember how long it was that we had gone without it, but we just, you know, we stopped buying it. We didn't keep it in the house for a while. And we drank other stuff, mostly water. Um, and then one time I, I found this, this amazing thing happened. 
I had a Coke actually one day, and I was like, you know, I'm going to have a Coke. It's been a while, you know. Um, I've been healthy, so why not enjoy a Coke? I drank the Coke, and I did not enjoy it at all. It, like, did not taste good to me. And I'm like, this is weird. For all my life, 20, no, 30-plus years, this has been, like, my favorite beverage. And now I'm holding it in my hands, and it does not even taste good to me. I want to let you know that the same thing could happen to you spiritually. Once you learn to drink the real thing, once you learn to truly drink from that water that's already inside of you, if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, once you learn to turn to him as the source of your only satisfaction of your soul and not any of these other things, and allow him to deal with those other things, and even if it might take time and work and, and confession and all this stuff, if you allow him to do that work, there's going to come a time when those things that you've been tasting no longer taste good to you. I want to share just a brief part of my testimony. Yes, praise God. I know many of you can testify to this. My testimony, one part of it, I'll share a little bit of it, is as I was in my early 20s, late teens, you know, as, as many people do, like, and I try not to, to look back and think of this as an excuse, but I found myself up late many nights looking at things that I should never have been looking at. And I found this pattern that I just couldn't seem, seemingly couldn't get out of, even though I was a Christian, even though I knew I was called to ministry, even though this is the path that I wanted to take, I just could not get out of that habit. Finally, God set me free, and, and, I, and I celebrated. I thanked God that, okay, it's been this long since that's happened, and now he's done a good work in me. You want to know what God did after that, though? He had to change the taste. He had to do a work in my heart so that that no longer was the thing that I, that I thirsted for. And that work involved dealing with a lot of the insecurity, a lot of the shame, a lot of the broken parts of myself that had caused me to go there in the first place. And, when, and as I grew older and I did a lot of counseling, I, I, I had the privilege of walking with a lot of addicts through different parts of their journey. And here's what I found so often is that God can set you free from an addiction. And when he does that, there still has to be the work of what caused you to turn to that thing in the first place. What are the broken parts of your heart that caused you to reach for that thing, that caused you to stay with that person, that caused you to make those choices that you made? You see, just as he wanted to deal with this woman's decision-making and what she was filling herself with instead of living water, her search, her endless search for love, endless search for acceptance, endless search for some type of security. Jesus wants to do the same thing in each of our hearts, to deal with those broken places, those places that originate our thirst for something other than the real thing, than the true living water. Lastly, I'm just going to sip of water, actually. And I spilled it. Living water. That was good. Much better than Sprite, by the way. So, last insight I want to make is somehow this woman goes from, in verse 11, saying, Who are you? Are you greater than our father Jacob? 
to verse 29 saying, come and see, can this be, person be the Christ? She went through a total transformation. You know, who are you? What are you all about? To like go into the village and by the way, telling all the people that she was at one point too ashamed to even show her face to, now she's knocking on their doors. She's proclaiming in the, in the public places, come and see this person that told me everything that I ever did. Facing the very people that, that she had so much shame that she couldn't be around. What changed? Because Jesus was willing to have a conversation in a place that Jewish rabbis didn't go with a person whom Jewish rabbis don't speak and to deal with that which was in her in a, only, in a way that could only Jesus could do. And the last challenge that I want to make today, for those of you who have been drinking the living water, who know what the real thing tastes like and have been tasting that for a long time now, what I want to let you know, people similar to this woman are in your circle of influence. There are women at the well in your life, people that need living water. And let me just be honest with you, just based on what I'm learning and reading about this woman, there's probably many of these people, how are you going to know that they need the living water? Well, here's one way you'll know. They're probably the people that you can't stand. They're probably the people that you really just don't want to talk to. You just don't want to be around, right? And... And you might even find yourself saying, man, I really, 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 really don't like that person. Can I just be honest with you, though? If you're saying them, if you're saying that about them, what do you think they're saying about themselves when they look in the mirror? Because I want to I can tell you this. You might think this is like, well, thanks, Captain Obvious. But this woman didn't grow up as a little girl saying, hey, when I grow up, I want to have five failed marriages. Say that as a young girl growing up. Nobody says that. The people in your life that you might find hard to get along with, they didn't start as a child being, man, when I grow up, I want to be a jerk. They didn't say that. And what I want to say is simply this. Jesus saw past the woman's exterior, saw into her heart, into the depths of her soul, what she truly needed. And Jesus is calling us to start to see the people in our lives the same way that he saw the woman at the well. They don't know these people. There's people in your life, you have no idea what kind of shame, what kind of internal voice they've been listening to, what kind of tape they play in their head over and over and over again, what they're telling themselves. But here's what I do know, what you do know. They need the living water, and many of them don't even realize that that's what they need. And guess what you have flowing inside of you? The living water. Jesus turned this woman from somebody bound by shame to a person eager to face all the people in her village and tell all of them about him. There are people in our lives that Jesus wants to do the exact same thing with. If we're willing to see the people in our lives, even the ones that we just can't get along with, the way that Jesus sees when he looks inside their hearts and inside their souls. We're going to close. We're going to have the worship team come here in a minute. Uh, 
And as they make their way up here, there's some challenge questions that I want to just, just have the, um, I'll put on a slide. And this is the point at which I want us to allow God to search our hearts. The first challenge question. What is it that my soul truly longs for? In Psalm 63, David was in the wilderness. And, you know, he had no access to regular water. And he was probably in a desperate place thinking, like, I don't know how I'm going to get water. I don't know how this is going to, to go. But I find it very interesting that his prayer was not, God, please let it rain. God, please let me find a river. His prayer was, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. In other words, even though his body was telling him he needed water, his soul was telling him, no, I don't just need water. I need the source of the living water. What is it that your soul truly longs for? Second challenge question. What are the places of shame that have affected this law? For those that earlier that were thinking about those places of shame, if Jesus is meeting you in that place of shame, if those voices in your head were telling you that, if you're, if you're finding yourself influenced by shame, bound by shame, don't pass this opportunity to allow the one who gives living water to meet you in that place. The third challenge question, how have I been filling this longing? For some of us, we may need to take this as an opportunity to repent of things, the decisions that we've made. Some of us might even need to start having conversations and having accountability and opening up and confessing things. And for some of us, maybe it's just a simple change of, of habit. Or maybe you're just like scrolling through social media all day when God's like, hey, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. But you're just finding yourself turning to other things just to kind of pass the time and your boredom and your loneliness. How have I been feeling this longing? And the last challenge question, am I willing to access the living water that the Spirit is giving today? I think there was another one, actually, that had to do with the last point, which was basically, is there somebody in my life that needs, yeah, thanks, somebody that needs the living water that's flowing inside of me? God, as we sing this last song, We invite you to speak to us. God, meet us in those places where our soul is longing. And we might think it's longing for something. It's longing for love. It's longing for acceptance. It's longing for purpose. It's, we might fill in that blank with any number of things. But God, our soul is truly longing for you. God, help us to see how only you can fill the longing that we've turned to so many other things to fill. God, let us see you for who you truly are. Worship you in spirit and in truth, the truth of who you are. 
God, as that living water wells within us, open our eyes to those people in our lives that need that living water. Give us your heart for them. Give us your eyes for them. Teach us to see the people in our lives, not how we want to see them, not how they may have even hurt us. Teach us to see them how you see them. Thank you, God. As the worship team sees this last song, if you need to make use of the altar space, let's just allow God to work in our hearts.